Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The cavalry is coming. That is the quote from top health officials responding to today's news of the second major vaccine breakthrough in just the last two weeks. Much needed hope during the darkest time so far in the pandemic. It's only Thursday, but it's been an exciting week so far in the world of a coronavirus vaccine. On Monday, vaccine maker Moderna announced that early trial results show that its vaccine is almost 95% effective. On Tuesday, drug company Pfizer announced it now has enough safety data from its own trial and is preparing to file for an emergency use authorization this week. Pfizer says its vaccine is also nearly 95% effective and that there have been no serious safety concerns among participants in the two months since they received the shots. Just think about that. By Christmas, people outside of a clinical trial for the first time could be receiving the coronavirus vaccine, a vaccine for a disease that didn't even exist one year ago. If the data bear out, 95% is astonishingly effective. Keep in mind, the Food and Drug Administration said they would consider an emergency use authorization if effectiveness was around 50%. And here we are talking about 90% plus. But one thing about Pfizer's vaccine is that it has to be stored at incredibly cold temperatures. And that's going to make distribution more challenging. Not impossible, but more challenging. Moderna's vaccine doesn't have to be stored at temperatures quite as cold, but both vaccines do require two doses. Now, let's take a look at next steps. So they're going to apply to the FDA. And then once they apply to the FDA, and this is really important, the FDA has already told its vaccine advisory committee to hold three days for a meeting. That's December 8th, 9th, and 10th. Traditionally, it's at the end of the last day of those meetings when they give the green light or the red light. I hope you recognize that I've always been honest with you. Sometimes that honesty has been brutal. I've also been hopeful when there was real cause, objective reasons, and evidence-based science to support that hope. This is one of those times. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And the road to vaccine access for the American public is still going to be complicated. It can be shortened, though, if the Food and Drug Administration issues either or both vaccines in emergency use authorization. You've heard that term a lot but I wanted to spend a little time today explaining again what it means. EUAs, emergency use authorizations, have been used since 2004 to get needed medications and medical equipment to the public as quickly as possible. But they've only been used once before for a vaccine. That was against anthrax. With coronavirus, there's been a lot of ongoing debate and concern about whether any vaccine candidate should be given the green light without first completing phase three clinical trials, which involves tens of thousands of participants and then test the potential vaccine against a placebo. 
vaccines are different. Vaccine safety is sacred. To do this wrong would be devastating, not just to our response to COVID-19, but it would be devastating to vaccination in general, that vaccine safety is viewed as a collective public good, and we just can't cut corners. Jason Schwartz is an associate professor at the Yale School of Public Health. He's also a member of the Connecticut Governor's COVID-19 Vaccine Advisory Committee. I've invited him to join me today to go in-depth on EUAs and all that they imply. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. So my name is Jason Schwartz, and I study how evidence gets made into policies in public health and medicine, particularly around vaccines. Usually, vaccine policy decisions don't receive this kind of scrutiny from the public. But this pandemic has thrust Professor Schwartz and his colleagues into the spotlight. I started off by asking him if, as an expert, the promising news that we're hearing from Moderna and Pfizer makes him optimistic. It does. It does. I mean, these are fantastic early signals. But I temper that enthusiasm with reservation, with concern for the really significant hard work that lies ahead, that even if these initial results are are confirmed, if we see a favorable judgment from the Food and Drug Administration, there's a lot of work ahead to get these vaccines where they need to go over the, the coming months. You know, people are hearing these terms for the first time, EUA. Typically, you hear um, approval. You know, something's been approved by the FDA. Can you explain why it matters whether the FDA approves or authorizes a vaccine against the coronavirus? Oh, it's a great question. And and you're right that when we're thinking about these vaccines, we are going to be thinking about them in the context of an emergency use authorization. It is the hope, I think the expectation of of the FDA, of the vaccine science community, that these EUAs for any vaccines that may receive them will be a a precursor to generating the full, complete, robust data that would lead to a traditional approval at some point in the future. But still, the FDA has really taken seriously that not all EUAs are the same. And I think they learned the lessons from some prior EUAs around hydroxychloroquine, around convalescent plasma, where there were real concerns about the the level of scientific confidence, about the process by which those EUAs were granted. And they have raised the bar for COVID vaccines. They have made very clear that, that there can't be any shortcuts with respect to the level of efficacy that would merit an EUA compared to what they would expect for an approval. Those are the same. And they've also indicated that they want to see the kind of, of follow-up period that should rule out really any kind of vaccine safety issue that we would typically think about occurring in those initial weeks after vaccinations. You focus on vaccines, but you did bring up the emergency use authorization for things like hydroxychloroquine and for convalescent plasma. Hydroxychloroquine really did not have any evidence behind it when it received this emergency use authorization. And when I looked carefully at the convalescent plasma data, there was evidence, but it was it was greatly exaggerated, I think. The point is that there was a shake in public trust. Vaccines have a higher bar, as you mentioned, still the same FDA. Should should the public feel more reassured about the vaccine? Yes, I think they should. Public health only works if there's a broad foundation of public support for what our health officials are advocating. And I think you're right that these, these decisions earlier this spring and summer 
both in terms of the, the science behind the decision as well as how they were communicated. The White House podium as the forum to make an FDA decision and then muddle some really important scientific considerations. Those process things matter alongside the scientific work that supports the decision. I think the FDA learned its lesson and recognized how important the vaccination program would be to the to the future of this of this pandemic. And from early summer on, you couldn't help but hear the public statements making very clear that they would not be interfered with, that science would only drive their decisions. And if, if it didn't, we would hear about it. And they signaled for months the kinds of steps and processes, open, transparent decision-making processes, the use of expert advisory committees, clear scientific standards published so we know what they're looking for. But I think they realized that the, the vaccine will, will be this make-or-break moment in the, in the trajectory of this pandemic. And, and those errors in terms of scientific judgment, communications judgment that we saw early in the pandemic just couldn't be repeated. You know, it always raises this issue of just vaccine hesitancy, people's reluctance to take vaccines. You've probably seen some of the polling data around COVID vaccines, hypothetical COVID vaccines. And sort of earlier in the year, I'm talking about late spring, early summer, about two-thirds of Americans said that they would take the vaccine once it became authorized or approved. The number actually dropped to to just around half the country, and I think that was a couple of months ago now in uh, September, late September. Did, did that surprise you that the numbers were as low as they were? It did surprise me. The fact that the numbers were, were so low and have dropped over the last several months are alarming. It reminds us that this is a significant challenge. It's a challenge that's common to all vaccines. We have persistent vocal critics and skeptics of, of the safety and effectiveness and value of vaccines that we, we see the consequences with measles outbreaks and other vaccine-preventable disease outbreaks but clearly with COVID-19, there have been new issues that, that overlay those chronic concerns, the fears about the politicization of science and, and questions about whether corners were being cut or whether there was political interference in the development or regulation of these vaccines. Pfizer folks told me that they would be collecting data for at least two years on these trial participants that started over the summer. So started in summer of 2020. Summer of 2022, they'll, they'll still be collecting data and maybe even after that. But what Monsef Slowey told me, who is the uh, scientific advisor to Operation Warp Speed, is that most adverse effects from vaccines occur within the first two months. And that seems to be where the, this, this two-month sort of time frame came from, that there'll be two months of data sort of by the end of November on the Pfizer vaccine and shortly after that for the Moderna vaccine. But those sort of benchmarks you would be comfortable with uh, from a policy perspective and, and starting to deploy the vaccine. Yes, absolutely. I think with respect to safety, without exception, they are focused on events that occur in the first 42 days after a vaccine is administered. So there's that benchmark where if we follow patients in these in these research studies for two months, we're going to be exceedingly confident that there won't be new safety issues that emerge three months or four months after vaccination. I think that's why the FDA set that two-month median follow-up as what they want to see before they're going to respond favorably to an emergency use authorization request. Where we need that longer follow-up, why it's important to follow those subjects for two years and longer, does relate to the questions of efficacy, effectiveness, that we just don't know with these vaccines, and we won't know when we introduce them just how long the immunity, those positive numbers we're seeing now might persist. It's really anyone's guess whether, whether this protection will last for six months, two years, or even longer. 
So what what do you think happens over the next several weeks then? Is it possible, given that we've had promising news from both Pfizer and Moderna, that one or even both of these would get an emergency use authorization? It does. That seems very likely. We'll then see the the FDA's advisory committee for vaccines that we'll be meeting publicly to hear from the manufacturers, to review the evidence, to see presentations by the Food and Drug Administration, and to offer for all of us to watch their recommendations, their independent recommendations for how the FDA should respond. If our current positive trajectory holds, it's looking like we'll see one or both of these Pfizer Moderna vaccines authorized somewhere around the end of the year with, with distribution to start pretty quickly thereafter. This issue of having a vaccine that is, you know, 90 plus percent effective, and let's say the data comes back and shows it has a very low side effect profile, and I'm talking about both Pfizer and Moderna. Part of your background is in bioethics as well. What's the ethics of this then at that point? If you have something that you've shown and authorized because of such high effectiveness and and low safety concerns, should other trials continue giving people a placebo? Yeah, these are uncharted waters in terms of thinking about the sort of the ethics of vaccine trials here. If one or both of these vaccines we're focusing on now receives an EUA, what happens to the rest of that trial? And and the FDA has indicated they want those trials to move forward as they currently planned, which would mean the research subject who received a placebo would not get the vaccine right away, but we would continue following the original protocol, moving towards the potential full approval that we've talked about. We shouldn't view the EUA as the end of the story. We should find it as an important benchmark reached with still more to be learned about those particular vaccines. For the broader vaccine development story, we have so many candidates in the pipeline. They're all important. We're going to need multiple vaccines. We're going to learn more about the relative performance of vaccines in terms of who they benefit the kinds of benefits they provide, the duration of benefits they provide. But it does create issues in terms of these new trials. If we do have a vaccine that we think is safe and effective, can we launch a new trial with a new vaccine candidate and give half the research subjects a placebo? Or do we need to compare these new vaccines to the ones that we've already gotten positive signals for? These absolutely will be the kinds of questions that the research community and the the ethics community will be sorting through. One thing that people have been hearing a lot about is just the the distribution challenges. And if you look at the Pfizer vaccine, I mean, this idea of the cold storage is a significant issue. And the idea that once you bring the vaccine out of cold storage, you have a certain amount of time that it can be thawed before you have to administer it. Or who knows, it's not as effective, may cause other problems. How do we make sure that we can do this quickly without potentially making things worse? If if the vaccine doesn't work because it wasn't thawed properly, who, who oversees all, all of that sort of stuff? Yes, no, these are, these are great points. There will be a new chapter with new challenges around distribution, logistics, implementation. I'm worried. I'm worried that that, that that half of the equation hasn't gotten the attention or the money that it should have had for months. But it's a reminder that because of these specialized requirements, this is not going to be a vaccination program that's going to be happening at your regular doctor's office in the immediate future, that that's not in the cards in terms of how these vaccines are being produced and shipped, there's going to need to be central distribution, whether it's through pharmacies, whether it's through hospitals, whether it's through, you know, pop-up clinics and in parking lots. We're going to have to think creatively about getting the vaccine as close to the people we wanted to reach as possible while recognizing that they're going to have to, to come to central places to get the vaccines. 
You have studied this for a long time. You've studied vaccines, the policy of vaccines, the ethics of vaccines. You're a young guy. When when it came available for someone of your background, the vaccine, would you have any hesitation taking it? I will absolutely, when my time comes and the, and the distribution allocation scheme, take those vaccines without reservation. I think it's about the process and it's about the confidence in the scientific community. And we're on a really good track right now that those threats that we were worried about in the summer about politics interfering with science, we don't have to worry about that as much as we need to, both because of, of how the FDA has stood its ground as well as, as the incoming administration. So I am absolutely confident that if we get a vaccine available and it's recommended for me, I would, I would have no, no concerns about taking it or recommending it to my family and my loved ones. It's reassuring, I think, to hear that experts like Professor Schwartz are watching the vaccine process so closely and that they are still confident about where we are headed. If we take a step back, the idea that we could have a vaccine before the new year for a disease that didn't even exist 12 months ago is pretty remarkable. And keep in mind, this type of vaccine, this mRNA vaccine, has never actually been authorized or approved before. People weren't sure if it was going to work. And now all the early indicators are that it does. I do think the progress we've made with medical innovation is worth celebrating. But we also have a ways to go. We gotta all continue to follow the basic public health protocols of wearing a mask and keeping physical distance and washing our hands. And maybe now that you see this hope looming on the horizon, it'll make you more likely to do so. Hopefully it's true for you and everyone around you. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.